This week's parsha is Parshas Vayera. We're going to speak about something that we haven't spoken about in past years. Uh, normally, Vayera, we tend to speak about the Akedah, of course, or we speak about the, uh, how uh, Avraham Avinu's Bikr Chaylim, or all the other great uh, events that are taking place in the parsha. Often overlooked is the parsha of Sadaim and specifically Light and his daughters. And it's, uh, it's a theme that's uh, very, very important for us to study uh, this morning because it gives us a tremendous, tremendous insight uh, and musr into how uh, we are supposed to lead our lives, and I will explain as we go along. So what happens is that uh, Sadaim and Amira. Uh, and those surrounding cities get destroyed, they turn into salt and sulfur, and they basically uh, escape. Light, his wife and his two daughters, Light and his wife and his two daughters, Light's wife turns around, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Uh, So it's basically just Light and his two daughters, and they go up from Tsayar, and they settle on a mountain, him and his two daughters. Um, and they go into a cave, that's where they lived. The older one, the older daughter, says to the younger daughter, to her sister, that our father is old, there is no man in the land to marry us in the usual manner, so let's get our father intoxicated, let's get him drunk, and that way we'll be able to be with him and we'll be able to have children uh, from him. So the first night they gave him wine, and then the older of the two girls um, had a relationship with him, and she got pregnant. The next night they did the same thing, and the younger sister um, had a relationship with him, and she got pregnant. Uh, And the older one had a son. His name was Mayav, and he is the ancestor of Mayav, the famous nation of Mayav that we always uh, run into throughout Tanakh. And the younger one also had a son, and his name was uh, Ben Ami, and he is the ancestor of the children of Amin until this day. If you look in Rashi, Rashi says that um, Mayav uh, was not a sneistic way of uh, describing uh, her son. She basically called him Mayav to imply Mayav, that this child was begotten from my father, meaning that there was an incestuous relationship. And uh, so because of that, Mayav, uh, in the future history of the world, would be punished more severely than Amain. Amain was more of a, uh, was called Amain a little bit more finely, which just meant that, um, that she was, uh, that he was uh, from my nation. Uh, it sort of alludes to it in a certain way, but it doesn't spell it out that explicitly. So therefore, by Amin, there's just an Indian uh, not to chepper them, not to start up with them, not to cause them pain. By Mayav, there is a, uh, uh, there's a, an injunction not to start a battle with them, but to chepper them, you're allowed to. You're allowed to, to, to hurt and to insult and to, uh, and to chide Mayav, and the reason is because early from their very inception, 
there's a difference between the older sister's attitude and the younger sister's attitude. The older sister was very uh, brazen in naming her child Mayav, as if to say that she, you know, we have no problem with the fact that we were with our father. The other one named him Amin ben, ben Ami, that was a little bit finer, so therefore the ripple effects were much different for future generations. What comes out of this parsha is that it doesn't seem like the daughters of light really are, uh, are shining role models of any sort. They, you know, this, the Pasuk seems to be implying that they did the wrong thing. Uh, the Mepharshim, Rashi, we just said, they named them Maya. There's something, there's something wrong with what's going on, it seems, on the surface from the B'nai's light. Yet, you find the Gemara in Yibamis. And the Yibamis Gemara says, and Ein Zayinam and Aleph, that there is a Gezer Shava, that David HaMelech will come from B'nai's light. The great David HaMelech, and not just David HaMelech, whenever we speak about David HaMelech, that always means Mashiach ben David as well. So obviously these two B'nai's light, uh, with whatever they did that night, or those two nights with their, with their father, and having an incestuous relationship, clearly there was some silver lining to what they did, because otherwise you wouldn't be Zeichet to have David HaMelech come from you, and you wouldn't be Zeichet to have uh, Melech HaMashiach come from you. So what exactly is the, is, is the Midah that we find by B'nai's light that, uh, that we can take from in a positive way? Now, the Gzeris Shava that the Gemara there in Yavamis says to learn that David HaMelech would come from B'nai's light is because it says uh, earlier in the parsha in Perak Yotes Pasuk Tesvav, that the Malachim said to Light, Kum kaches ishtacha, come, get, let's get out of here. Take your wife, and your two daughters, that are found, that are found, who are present. So what does that mean, that extra word, hanimtsa'is? So if you look in Rashi, Rashi says, hanimtsa'is, hamizumanes l'chababayis l'atzilam. They are found, they're present, they're here in the house. They're not roaming the streets, they're present, they're here, and take them out, save them, take them with you. Hanimtsais. And that word, Hanimtsais, is the Gzereshava, or half of the Gzereshava. The other Gzereshava is the Pasukin Tehillim, Peites Chafalev, Matsasi, David Avdi. I have found David, my servant. So Hanimtsais and Matsasi is the same root, that same word Matzah. We make a Gzereshava, so it must be that David HaMelech, the root of David HaMelech was Hanimtsais, that these girls were found here, and therefore David HaMelech was destined to come from something special about these two Benaislite. What is going on over here? What's exactly the takeaway? So, if you look in the Hemshech of the Gemara over there in Yevamis, um, we know that there was a very, very big controversy in Jewish history that was going to rage precisely at the time that David HaMelech was set to be potentially anointed as Melech on Klal Yisrael. Because there was a, a long debate 
about whether or not the Isser of Amen and Mayav entering Klal Yisrael applies only to men or also women. We know, it says black and white in the Torah, that somebody from Amen and Mayav is not allowed, we do not accept them uh, into the Am Hashem, into Klal Yisrael. And the Pasuk says why? The Pasuk says, because they did not bring us out food, when we were hungry in the, in the Midbar, they should have been hospitable, they should have brought us out a lot of uh, provisions, but they didn't. They turned their back on us, they ignored us, and because of that, that cruelty that they displayed towards Fah Yisrael is not forgotten, and for all times, we are not allowed to accept somebody from Amen and Mayav as a girl. Now, what about the female Ammaniyais and Mayaviyais? What about them? Are they allowed to enter the call or not? So, this was a very, very big debate. And it was, of course, a very, very big problem by the time of Rus, because Rus was, of course, a Mayaviya and it wasn't clear whether or not she was going to be allowed to be Megayer or not, and if she was, would you be allowed to marry her? And that was the whole machlekes between Bayaz and the, and the Goyal, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of things were going on, and the Gemara speaks about what exactly was the underlying machlekes. What's the, I mean, okay, that's a simple shot or not, but... What is the, what's the lumdus then? Why would we be allowed to accept them? Why would we think that when it says Ammani and Mayavi, it would be specifically the men and not the women? So the Gemara says, because shall ish, it's only the way of a man to go and um, bring out Lechem and, and Mayim, but by a woman, they can't, they're not supposed to be going out of their, of their homes and bringing provisions for, for men and for, for Klaus. So that's not, that's not Sneistic. Called Kibuda Basmel Panima, the Pasuk says in Philem, the entire glory of a woman is Panima, is internal. She's supposed to be found in the house and taking care of the, the, whatever needs to be done inside the house. She's not supposed to be going out of the house and being very public. And, and so, therefore, there's no taina on the women of Mayav and Amin and Mayav for not bringing out Lechem and Mayav. They're not supposed to. That would be the reason why we would be allowed to be Megayer, female, Amaniyais, and Mayaviyais. So, based on this, perhaps we can explain that this is what the Gzereshava is telling us. That when the Torah says that Shtei B'naisecha HaNimtsa'is you two daughters, your two daughters that are nimsais, they're found here in the tent, they're found inside the house, they're not running around the streets of Sadaim, they're here. That's a tremendous praise for them, and that's going to bode well for them in the future, because it's basically maya that, that Amin and Maya, the women, are, have internally the ability, at least, to beat Sneistic, and so, if they're found in the tent, that's great. That means that in the future, there's not going to be a tain on them why they didn't go out and bring provisions for Klal Yisrael because they weren't supposed to. They're, they're supposed to be in the tent. And so, rooted in this word, Hanim that the Malachim said to light that your two daughters that are found here in the tent, inside the house, that is going to be the Gzereshava that David HaMelech 
Matsasi David Abdi, I have found David, my servant, here in the house, because that's the reason, that's the greatest uh, case to make for the female B'nai's Amen and Mayav to enter Klai Yisrael, because Be'etzim, they're nimsais. They are found in the home, and they're not expected to have gone out to greet Klai Yisrael with Lechem and Mayim, and therefore we should, in, with open arms, accept women from Amen and Mayav to be Megayar, and of course we didn't. As a result of that, David HaMelech came out from Rosa Mayavia together with Bayaz, so he was a great-grandson of, of theirs, and from there will come Melech HaMashiach. So, it's a funny thing, because we find some conflicting messages of what we're saying here this morning. On one hand, I'm saying that they're nimsais, they're tzniyas, they're fine, these are wonderful young women, but then we find the next parasha, they go out and they, and they you know, have a, an affair with their father, and they have uh, Amin and Mayav from them, and they name them funny names, so which one is it? I can't burn the candle from both ends. I can't have it both ways. I can't make a beautiful drasha that they're, they're the parents, uh, they're the, the predecessors of, uh, of David and of Melech HaMashiach because they were nimsais and yet at the same time say that they, are so, uh, that they went and they, you know, and, they, and they were with their father. What's going on? How, how are we explaining this? So I have to share with you a remarkable story that is found in the Igris Mesha, in one of the volumes of the Igris Mesha, and in the eighth volume, a more recent volume of the Igris Mesha, um, there is a biography of Ramesha in the front. They put like a, quite an extensive biography about him, about his years in Russia. He was a rub in Luban before he came to America, and what his experiences there, and of course, after he came to America, and all he did in, for Tyra in America, starting Yeshiva, being the Pesach Hadar, etc., there's a beautiful biography, and there in the biography it says a remarkable story that um, he was really, he used to say this story um, to describe the Balabatim of Luban. This small city in Russia, I don't think it was a large city, I think it was a small city in Russia, but the Balabatim there were so chashuv that they had almost Rechakhaidish Kemat. And the story goes as follows. There was one of his Balabatim in Luban who took ill. He had a very, very strange illness that his tongue blew up and it was like suffocating him. Very, you know, the doctors didn't know what caused it and what to do about it. And, um, and he was about to die. So he called the rub of the city, he, you know, he asked Ramesha to come and visit him. And Ramesha, of course, came to the, to the hospital or to his home, wherever it was, and he asked all the people that were present in the room, the family, the doctors, whoever it was, to please leave the room, I have to talk privately with the rub. So, so it was just him and Ramesha in the room, and Ramesha says, uh, you know, What's doing? He says, I, I have to tell you something. He says, I know what caused my machla. I know what caused this to happen. He says, what caused it? He says, I had a dream. And in my dream, there were two old women that came to me. And they were wearing, they were very sneistic, and they were wearing, um, they were wearing, uh, you know, some uh, shawls around their head, like extremely, extremely tzniyistic. 
and they came to me and they said that today was Shabbos, Parshas Vayera, this week's Parsha, and you were saying at Vartera, maybe at, the, at your Shabbos table, and you were speaking very derogatorily about us. And you were saying about how we had an affair with our father and how we cohabitated with, uh, with him and we had, uh, we had Amin Amayav and we named him, we named our kids these names that were very uh, revealing about the nature of where they came from and why Dabana Melch deserved to come from us and why Melch HaMashiach is Mamish the whole Shmuz. All the kashas that we're having, this person had this Falabas and Luban asked. And, and they said, that's why you took ill, because you spoke badly about us. And they're going to say, well, you're probably wondering, knew, like, Taka, what was going on? Why did, you, you know, why did we do what we did? And why do we name him what we named Why do we name him what we named him? It's like this. It's an amazing vart. They said that we had to do this because we felt that there was no other people left in the world. We thought that just like Sadaim and Amir were destroyed, so there was no one left in the world, and we had to we had to make a, we had to allow the world to exist. So we had to have children. We had no choice. That's how the Gemara says, Ailam Chesed Yibana that the way that there was incest to begin the world, right? How did Cain marry his sister? Who, who had children from Cain and Havel? They only had their sisters, so obviously, the world was built, the world was built based on this because we have to, you know, sometimes you got to do what you have to do in order to make sure that there's an existence in the world. We did that also. That was our cheshpin. Ah, so you're going to ask, so why do we name him Amin? And Mayav, 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 like how do you have the audacity then to name him Mayav? Listen to what they said. People knew that we were very theistic of people. That we knew, that we were known to be from. And all of a sudden we're pregnant. And there's no one around in the, you know, really, you know, we didn't know that there was anybody around in the world altogether, but, but, you know, what were people going to say about us? If we got pregnant and it wasn't with our father, what would people say? They would say that basically this was like a, uh, you know, what, I don't like using the terminology, I probably shouldn't, but immaculate conception, the way Yashka, the, the Nitzrim, the way they believed that Yashka was born, you know, was, uh, was, was from the Ebeshter Chalila Bechas. And from that, a whole religion surrounded Yashka, and Yashka, look what he did, he ruined the whole world. He, you know, trillions of people around the world in, in history believe that Yashka is the, is the son of the Rabbi Nisham, all because of this, it's, it's a Shekhar Bechazah, of course, without getting into the details of what actually did happen, but pe- people bought into this, and a whole religion was started as a result of this. We were afraid that this would happen to us, Unless we publicized and made it very clear that the, the sons that we're having are Me'av, it's from a father, or, or, or B'nai Ami, these were, these were, it was a local, there was, they were begotten by a biological parent, there was a father and there was a mother, we were afraid that this would spread, 
if people would just see us get pregnant, we didn't, and we weren't Mepharsim who the father was, people would get the wrong uh, understanding, and they'd make a whole new religion around these kids. And in order to stop that, this is what we had to do. We were forced to do this. And because of this, you're punished because he spoke badly about us, and that's how his tongue blew up because of Lashon Hara. Similar, they said, to the Miraglim. The Miraglim also, Chazal tell us that, uh, that their tongues became very elongated and it went down to their tibor, to their, to their navel, and basically that's how the Miraglim died. And so that's how you're going to die as well. And sure enough, after he told Ramesha this, he turned his head away from Ramesha and he died. And Ramesh used to say over this story, this is what it says in, the, in, this, in this volume of Vigris Meshe, you can look it up yourself. Uh, an amazing, an amazing story. Um, and we see from this story exactly the tznius of the B'nai Smaya, meaning it was such a misunderstanding. A lot of times these were nimtzais, they were found in the tent, they were from, they were, they were the finest of, of young women, but they got a, you know, they, they we misunderstood them, and it's easy to misunderstand them. Chazal even, you know, allow us in a certain way to, to, to criticize them. But yet, the reality of it, according to this story, was that really they were from, they were tzanuim. They were tzanuim, and, and we can't speak badly about them in any which way, because they had a cheshpin. And their cheshpin, you know, was, was the right cheshpin. Because of that, David Amel comes out. You can't can't get better reverse yichus than that. David Melech Hamashiach, clearly this indicates that, that they were right. This vindicates them. And this is the takeaway lesson that I want to bring to our attention in this week's parasha, from this week's parasha. Because we're going to, as we get deeper into Seva Barashas and beyond, there are so many of these stories narratives throughout the whole Torah and Nach that are so easy to misunderstand. And there are Mepharshim and, you know, Rav Aaron Kotler, if you want to see something fascinating in his Mishnah Rav Aaron Chelek Ala Torah, he has an essay that he gave to Mechanchim and he, uh, to people that are teaching Chumash, how to teach Chumash in the right way. It's a very, very scary thing because when you're teaching Chumash and you're, you know, you're, it's, if you learn the, the Psuk and Kipshutam, they seem so often to be saying something that could be so easily misinterpreted. And Rav Aaron goes step by step. He obviously doesn't speak about every case in the Torah, but at least a few, a few parashiyas, he goes and he proves that the Pshuta Shalmikra, the simple understanding is wrong and that you have to understand it in a certain way. And because of that, he builds many binyanim to prove this, and he spends a lot of a lot of time and effort making sure that we don't misinterpret the Torah Chas And at the same time, you find very often that there are many, you know, if you go online, or you, uh, you know, or, or there's no shortage of books and, and online material and parsha sheets and whatnot. And everybody today that has a printer is able to, you know, to spew out anything that they want. And you could describe the Abbas Hakadoshim or the Mice or the brothers of Yosef or uh, 
or or Moshe Rabbeinu or Aaron or you could you could mamish say anything you want. You have a keyboard, you have a printer, you have a podcast. You could say anything that you want with a microphone today, and you could accuse them of terrible, terrible things. And you have to understand what the truth is. These were gedele elam, even. You know, when you're speaking about, whenever I give a drasha between Pesach and Shavuos about the Tamidah Rabbi Akiva, you know, and the Torah, and the Chazal tell us that they died 24,000 they didn't, so we think, okay, they must have been bad people. They're really, you know, who knows what they did to each other. They're probably mean and cruel and clicky and, you know, whatever your mind starts beginning to conjure up from but that's not the truth. These were Tanan. These were Talmidei Rabbi Akiva. If you're a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva, that means that you're, you know, if you made it into the Yeshiva of Rabbi Akiva and you were able to sit in the, in, in a, you know, within a million mile radius of Rabbi Akiva and not get incinerated, that means you're a very chashub. So whatever it means, it's always Kefi Madre Gossam. Obviously they did something wrong, but if you would see them, if you would be in the room with them, you would say like, what they do wrong? Everything seems like I never saw such respectful people in my life. Like what? What's the? What's the? You don't. You don't even see the taina on them. It was microscopic according to their madrega. There was a taina, but it wasn't a taina like they were bad hasbashon. You know, it's interesting. Even Esav, Esav, like we, you know, Esav is a Russia, right? Esav is a person that you know you grow up, and he is like the worst character in the whole chumash. You don't want to get anywhere near Esav. But if you look in the Svarim HaKadoshim, the Chassidish Svarim, and many of the interesting Svarim, they paint a different picture of Esav. Esav is not a... If Esav learned by Abraham and by Yitzchak, you know, he was obviously a person that, that had intense Kedusha. He was imperfect for sure, and he was... He did Averis Chazal Talos, but at the same time, you know, you have to understand who you're talking about. Esav was no... He wasn't, he wasn't like a, you know in any way the way we the way we think about him. And in fact they asked her of Hutner, like when like when we're giving class, you know, Rabbeim are giving or Morris are teaching about 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 uh, Yaakov and Esau, should we paint Esau in a more flattering light? I mean after all, there are some that say he was a big tzaddik, he looked like a you know, he had a big strimo and he had a long beard and payas. He didn't look like like you know, like you know, tattoos and uh, Rambo-like. He, he was a he was a he was a, a person that was had tremendous kedusha to him. He, he had to. I'm telling you, if you if he was speaking to Yaakov Avinu, if he was if he was in the womb with Yaakov Avinu, if he had a mother and a father like Yitzchak and Rivka, he had a grandfather like Avram, and he was able to to be in that home. There had to be kedusha. He had to be incredibly halavai. We should be you know a, a billion of the kedusha that he had. So should we maybe like like you know change his image like re rebrand Asab and make him into a bigger tzaddik than you know than he gets a reputation? So Rafundi said no, because children, young children, need to see things very black and white. Children don't understand gray. So when you're teaching about good and evil, when you're teaching about Yaakov, and you're contrasting with Asab, it has to be a stark contrast. You have to teach Yaakov is the tzaddik and Asab is the rasha. But as you get older, you have to somewhat, you know, really begin to, like, rethink things. David HaMelech, you know, was with Bathsheba, right, was, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, doesn't look too good from the storyline. But the Gemara says, Kalaimer David Chaitein Whoever says that David sinned is making a big mistake. 
What exactly happened? That, that you have to look in the Chazal, you have to look in the Midrashim, you have to look in the Mepharshim. But the point is that you can't take Sukkim at face value, even if you think you know what they're talking about, you don't know what they're talking about. We could take lessons from the Abbas because there are Svarim that take lessons from the Abbas, but to understand the Abbas and to really, you know, and we even take negative lessons. And the Ramban, you know, sometimes speaks very strongly against the, against Sari Menu, Sari Menu, Chata, Chata, when she, when she was Ma'ana. Uh, Hagar and the whole mice with Yishmael, right? The, the Ramban sometimes speaks, but we're not the Ramban. And we have to understand the Ramban, we have to take it into account, but at the same time, we have to also understand that we're talking about the mice, we're talking about tremendous. Gedalim is an understatement. These are Malachi Hashem. We have to, you know, like paint, get ourselves into, if the nice light, who we, we would think is like open game for criticism, this is really what they were. They were Tzedkaniyas that got a bad rep. Then Alachas Kama Vakama, the Abbas, the Mice, Mesha, Aaron, David, Yasef, you know, all these people have to be understood in the right way. And if you're ever, if you're ever exposed to, you know, materials, and it's so easy to be exposed to materials because there's so much out there, and people feel that they have this right to, you know, to say anything they want. You know, this person was, uh, you know, this, and this person was on the spectrum, and this person was, uh, was this, and he had this syndrome, and that syndrome. We put all the psychology books into the office, we bake it all in, and we, and we think we're smarter than everything, we're like, it sounds very good, you give a share to people, everybody's happy, wow, he's brilliant, how he tied that in, he made the, you know, we can't play those games, that's completely, completely usher, that's literally touching the third rail, and it's a very, very, extremely dangerous sport. It's better not to say any dvartar, any drashas, than to say a drasha that comes out you know, criticizing the Abbas, the Imais, all of the great tzaddikim in, in Tanakh in any which way. just want to end with a Misa that um, I read, I don't know if, it, if it's, I don't know, but I, I read it in a few different places. There was a, a seminary girl who you know, was in seminary in a dorm room in Eretz Yisrael, and they were looking at a, at a book of G'daylam. And they came to a picture of Rebarach Ber. Now, Rebarach Ber, if you know what he looks like, I'm sure you all know what he looks like, there was no more beautiful Hadris Panim than Rebarach Ber. He looked like a, literally a Malach Hashem Tzavakis. You all know what he looked like. But... For some reason, I don't know what it was, but this one of the girls in the room um, made a, a, a critical comment about the appearance of Rebarach Ber. I don't know what she said. I don't want to know what she said, but it was... I don't know what she could have said, but she said something negative about Rebarach Ber. And within a few minutes, her face became paralyzed. She got a very severe case of Bell's palsy from, from nothing. You know, it's mad in the blue. No history of it in the family, no, no, just boom. So you didn't have to go to a Makobol to figure out, like, why this happened, because she clearly, she just spoke badly about Rebarach Ber. So, um, so she called her father, father was in America, her father immediately flew to Eretz Yisrael, and um, he went to Rav Steinemann, 
Zechut Tzadik Lebracha. And he asked Rav Steinman, like, what, what should we do? He says, well, you have to go to the Kever of Aruch Ber, and you have to get a minion together and ask Mechila from him. And then everything should be good. He says, great, that's amazing. So where is Rav Baruch Ber buried? Uh, we think he's buried in a... So they, he, was, he, he was Nifter in 1939, right at the outbreak of World War II. So everything was very, very, you know, quick, and he was buried in like, very quickly. And, uh, and they didn't know exactly where he was buried. They knew that he was buried uh, near his father. And they also knew that near his father's because they also had a Kabbalah because they started quickly doing research from descendants of Baruch Ber, um, who lived in Eretz Yisrael and wherever else they may have lived. Where they knew that they had a Kabbalah that he was buried perpendicular. He was the only person buried. There was no room in the Beis Elam near his father to be buried. So they buried him like, you know, between the rows, like where you would walk through the Beis Elam between the, you know, between the, from one grave to the next. That's where he was buried, like on one side, but near his father, but in a perpendicular way. So they contacted somebody who was in charge of Kivrit Sadikim in Europe. Like he did a lot of... Uh, there's an organization, I think it's called Ayalet Sadiqa maybe, and, um, and they basically go Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and they find graves of Sadiqim, and they, they fix the Kvarim, or they put up new Kvarim, and they make Ayals there, they make nice uh, mausoleums for people to daven by the Sadiqim's graves, whatever. They, they put a lot of money and effort and time into going back into these you know, Western Europe, European countries, primarily Eastern European countries, and, and fixing up these graves of Sadiqim. So they told this person who's in charge of the story, and he right away got into action. He was a, a doer, and he, uh, he went uh, to, the, to the cemetery where Baruch Ber uh, was allegedly uh, buried in, and um, reportedly buried in, and he, uh, he got some infrared technology. It was just like developing technology that you were able to see uh, from above. I don't think they had drones then, but he was able to somehow see from above what's underneath the ground using some infrared. And they found that there was like a, a mace perpendicular to his father's kever, and they knew exactly which side it was and where it was. So they immediately erected a, a matseva by the grave, which is still there today, which is there today. And, um, and they got a minion of people together, and they daven, they asked Mechila by his kever, and then shortly thereafter, Baruch Hashem, this girl uh, went back, her face became uh, normal again, Baruch Hashem. And I always tell over this story to my kids, um, and I also tell it over, lately I've been giving uh, tours of the Kivrit Sadikim here in Queens to groups of girls, like high schools and, uh, and seminaries, like especially during Asayosimei Tshuva, that was uh, good for business that time. It was, uh, everybody wants to go to the cabin during Asayosimei Tshuva. So I think I gave three separate tours uh, within like a week. I got very sick from one of them because it was pouring rain. Anyway, but that's a different story. But, um, but that's when we go to, uh, to the cabin of Ruben Grzowski, who was the, uh, the son-in-law of Rebarach Bear, and his and Rebarach Bear's uh, daughter, the wife of Ruben, is buried right behind her. So you have Rebarach Bear's son-in-law and daughter right there. That's the story that I chose to tell because it's such an important story. First of all, it's very relatable. You know, it's a seminary girl in Eretz Israel, you know, learning in seminary in Eretz Israel, and it happened today. And, but 
it's so it's so important for us to know that you know Gedalia Yisrael, whether or not it's the Avos Nimais, but all the Gedalia Yisrael from then until today, people are very quick to you know to criticize and how could this person do this and how could that person do that and. If you look, you want to see a, a great Maramakim in the Mechdam Eliyahu, the Dessler speaks to a per- writes a letter to a person about who was critical of the G'daylam in Europe before the war, if they had Ruch HaKadosh, why didn't they tell them to get out of Europe and escape the Nazis before it happened, and, and he basically gives a beautiful letter about Das Tehran, about how you can't be critical of G'dayla Yisrael, and uh, he brings the he brings the story of Mordechai and how they were critical of Mordechai, but in, of course we know that Mordechai was right, but they were accusing him of causing the whole Gezeira to happen because he he didn't bow down to Haman, but of course it was really Klal Yisrael's fault because they went to the Suda. And he 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 brings a, a whole a beautiful uh, case uh, how you always have to have a Munas Chachamim, and that's the most. If we don't have a Munas Chacham, we have nothing because think about it. But our entire Yadus, our entire Yiddishkeit, our entire religion is built on Amunat Chachamim. It's not just, uh, I believe in God, we need to believe in God. But Hashem gave us the Torah. You can't take the Torah literally. The Torah was not, it was not meant to be taken literally, and you can't. If you took the Torah literally, you know, you don't, you wouldn't be able to take an esrog to shul on, on Sukkot because it just says, Priyat Tadar. Yeah, beautiful fruit. I don't know if, if the ester, an esrog is a beautiful fruit, but it's a lot of beautiful fruits. On Rosh Hashanah, I had a beautiful passion fruit, a dragon fruit, a star fruit. There's a lot of beautiful fruits out there. <coughs> Apple's a nice looking fruit. I mean, like, how do you know what to take? What's the pre-etzadr? The only way we know that it's an esrog is Chazal tells us, the rabbis told us it's an esrog. And the same rabbis that told us it's an esrog tell us other things throughout the history of Paul Yisrael. What to do, what not to do, Gezeris, Tatanis, Yagim, and, uh, you know, Adayim. And if you start criticizing the Chachmi Yisrael, which is our whole Messiah, we really have no Messiah. What do we have? So, this is the takeaway of today's, today's parsha that the B'nai's Light is such a great case study and how much respect and awe and reverence we have to have for all people in unless we know severely otherwise, and even then so, we have to be careful. You can't just say whatever you want. It's not a free-for-all because you want to give a nice drasha at the expense of these poor people that can't defend themselves. So, you know, just go for it. It's free. It's open. They're open game. They're not open game. And there's tremendous consequences for doing that. Tizar migachalosan, you have to be careful from the hot coals of tzaddikim. And we live by the words of tzaddikim. Mipiyam anuchayim, where our entire life is based on the chachme Yisrael. If you look at around the base medish, all these sarim lining the walls, and there's uh, probably a thousand times more sarim than these. These are all chachme Yisrael. We're surrounded literally by chachme Yisrael. And we have to have the utmost respect and covet for them and for their Messiah, and you might not always, uh, you might not be a, a chassid of a certain rabbi, but that doesn't give you the ability to criticize that rabbi. You might not be a, you know, a Talmud of a certain Rosh Hashiva, but it doesn't give you the right to criticize it. Just play it safe. Don't be one of these kanayim that are, you know, Whoa, this rabbi, you know, how could he back this candidate now? This and that. It's not that, that's not a game that we're supposed to be playing. Let other people play that game. It's not for us to be playing. We have to just be reverential. We have to be respectful. We have to respect that. It might, might not be your opinion. 
you know, Rav Aaron Kali did not see eye to eye with the Satmar Rebbe. Satmar Rebbe was vehemently anti the Medina. Arayim, right? They don't take any money to their credit. They, you know, they at least they put their money where their mouth is. They roll. They, 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 you know, they think that you know Zionism is mamish the Sitra Afra. You can't. Rav Aaron Kotler felt differently. Obviously, it wasn't for Zionism, but. He felt that, you know, you could work with Medina Israel, you have to be part of the, the government, you have to, he, they didn't see eye to eye on, you know, on, how to, on how, to, how to treat the times that they lived in, but they had the utmost respect for each other. They never, you know, has to show them, they, they, could, they could argue, but they stayed with, they, they had covered for each other's position. And we also have to have covered for every, all, I'm not saying people that are not within our Messiah. Obviously, if there's somebody that, you know, if it's a, a conservative position or a reform position, obviously that's something that, you know, you have to be willing to go a Muhammad against because that's mamish, that's, that's completely out of our Messiah. But if it's somebody that's within our Messiah, they have their own Messiah, but they have, you have to respect them. You have to have tremendous covered in Europe from them. And, this is the takeaway of this parasha. It's something that's important. We all know this, what I'm saying. I'm not saying any, anything that we don't know, but it's important sometimes to remember these things, to remind ourselves of these things, and uh, just always play it safe. Don't, like, criticize other, other streams of Yiddishkeit of, of if, they're, if, they're, if they have their own Messiah from Sinai, from their Rebbes, from their, their Abayim and their Gedem. We might think they're completely wrong and misguided, but we shouldn't criticize them. We should be just like, just let it go. Don't, don't get involved in this. Even if it's, they're talking about it, the Shabbos, they would just like, just politely, you know, disengage from any conversation. It's just simply not worth it. It's not worth criticizing because you see the ramifications that are real life. And uh, besides for the fact that there's physical consequences, there's spiritual consequences that will have a bad effect on yourself and on your children, your family, your community, if you're one of these people that are constantly you know, undermining other people's uh, opinions and approaches. You don't have to agree with everybody. You have to always, if you're going to disagree, it has to always be with the utmost of respect. Have a beautiful Shabbos.